Let's pray together. Lord, we are grateful. We're grateful for who you are, that you are the good shepherd, that you lead us through this life. We thank you that you are the one who, who leads us through the darkest valley. And as we go through the dark valleys and the difficulties of life, Lord, we know that you're with us, that your rod and your staff are there to comfort us. Lord, I, I pray that, that we would just have as a congregation a profound sense of your leading this congregation. I thank you that you are leading Maple Park Church. You're leading us, Lord, where you want us to go. You're leading us into the mission to which you called us. Lord, you've called us to go and to make disciples. You've called us to proclaim good news. So, Lord, I pray that you would lead us, even though it, it seems at times as if congregations, and every congregation I've been a part of has gone through difficulty and, and hardships. I pray that you would lead this church through this valley. Lord, that you would provide for us abundantly. We thank you that you are more than able to do that. So, Lord, as we open your word today to the Gospel of Luke, um, Lord, I pray that, that our hearts would be open to receive what you have for us today. Lord, I pray that you would convict us, which would lead us to repentance. And I thank you, Lord, that you are, are willing to come to us wherever we're at in life, and that you are a friend to us. And we thank you, Lord, that your kindness, your kindness has the ability to soften our hearts and to change our hearts. So, Lord, I pray that we would be impacted today through the truth of your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I invite you to stand this morning for the reading of our gospel lesson. The gospel lesson is taken from Luke, the fifth chapter, beginning with the 17th verse. <clears throat> On one of those days, as he, that is Jesus, was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. So here Jesus is. He's gathered. There are Pharisees there. There are Sadducees that are present there. The Pharisees and the Sadducees are a part of two different parties. They're like the, the leaders of the people of Israel. They're the spiritual leaders. In verse 18, and, he, and behold, there's some other people who come into the picture here. Some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed. And they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. They understood that Jesus had power to heal. That he had power to make the lame walk again. But verse 19, but finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. So they go up on the roof and they make a hole in the roof and they lower their friend down so that their friend 
can meet Jesus. This is radical kindness. This is radical friendship. This is belief in Jesus' ability. Verse 20. And when Jesus saw their faith, now get this. He said to the man, he said, man, your sins are forgiven you. Your sins are forgiven you. We probably would have expected Jesus to say, rise and walk. But this man had a greater need, and that need was for the forgiveness of his sins. That need was for him to be restored into a right relationship with God. His greatest need wasn't healing of his paralysis. His greatest need was the forgiveness of sins. That's the greatest need of all of humanity. Is that our sins would be forgiven. And that we enemies of God because of our sin. And we who are alienated from God because of our sin. Would be restored into a right relationship with God. And that we would know God as our friend. So Jesus said, man, your sins are forgiven you. The scribes and the Pharisees began to question. So here are the religious leaders, the people who are to be shepherding and leading the people of Israel. And they say, who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? And that's a good question. Who can forgive sin but God alone? Only God can forgive sin. So their question is actually good. Because only God has the authority to forgive people their sins. Verse 22. When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, Why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, rise and walk? Verse 24, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. And here's the sign. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And immediately he rose up before them, picked up what he had been laying on, and went home, glorifying God. And amazement seized them all, and they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, we have seen extraordinary things today. Here ends the reading of our gospel lesson. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. We're in the middle of a a sermon series on the fruit of the Spirit. And so we have learned that the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit is, you can help me out here, the fruit of the Spirit is first of all what? Love. And I've been thinking that you can't have the other fruits without love. Love is the foundation. So we said the fruit of the Spirit is love, and then what? 
joy. There's not going to be any joy in your life if there isn't the love of God, right? Or love towards others. Love, joy, peace. Patience and now kindness. And it's really, it's, it's the love that God has given to us. Or the kindness that God has given to us that leads us to be kind towards others. To be kind towards others in radical ways. Today we're going to be talking about this radical kindness. And kindness really, I was thinking, is is friendship. And what we read in the Gospel of Luke is the account of friends who bring their friend who is in need to Jesus. So to be kind is to be a friend. To be kind is to be a friend to others. And that's illustrated by these men who bring their friend to Jesus. But it's it's truly and profoundly shown throughout the, the narrative of Scripture. That God is the greatest friend that anybody can have. Jesus is the greatest friend that anybody can have. He is the friend of sinners. And, and he really is a, he's a radical friend that shows radical kindness. And so, so Jesus calls us to radical friendships. Why do you say radical friendships? Well, well look at what these men did. They, they couldn't get into the house... But that didn't stop them. They were determined to bring their friend to Jesus. So they went up on the roof and they, they, they dug through the roof, one of the gospel says. They dug through the, probably what is clay, tiles possibly, and, and sticks and other things that they would have used to construct houses at that time. And they lowered Jesus, or they lowered their friend down so that their friend would meet Jesus. This is radical friendship. And, and these, these people, these, these guys, they got it. They understood. They believed that Jesus is the answer. And so I ask you today, do you believe? Do you really believe that Jesus is the answer? They believed that Jesus could do the impossible. They believed that if they got their friend to Jesus, that Jesus would cure him of his paralysis. You see, if you believe, if you believe in Jesus, if you have been impacted by Jesus, you will be a radical friend to others. You'll do anything to get your friends to Jesus if you believe. If you believe that He is able. So to be kind is to be a godly friend and to be a godly friend is to be a radical friend. 
So we're called to kindness, radical kindness, radical friendship. And uh, why do we call it radical kindness? Well, I was thinking this week, there's another reason why this is a radical kindness. And that's because of what Jesus taught us in the Sermon on the Mount. Or in Luke's Gospel, the Sermon on the the Plain. It's it's a radical friendship or radical kindness that we're called to, to give to others because Jesus tells us to love our enemies. To love our enemies. Hear what Jesus says in a sermon in Luke chapter 6, verses 23, 27 through 31. But Jesus said this, But I say to you who hear, He says, love your enemies. He says, do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. To the one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And for one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you. And from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish what others would do to you, do so to them. Wow. Radical kindness. Radical friendship. We're called to be friends even to our enemies. Who who in their right mind lives like this? Who in their right mind operates through life in this manner? Radical kindness leads us to be a friend even to our enemies. Now look at Jesus upon the cross. To those who crucified him. What did he say? Father... Forgive them. Forgive them, for they know not what they do. So even from the cross, Jesus is demonstrating this radical kindness, this radical friendship, this love towards others. An unbelieving world will say, this is, this is just crazy. This is nuts. I don't know if you've heard of Daryl Davis, he's a black uh, musician. I have a picture of Daryl Davis, I think. If you can bring the slide up. Daryl Davis, um, he's a musician who hangs out with Ku Klux Klan and neo-Nazis. He actually befriended the Grand Wizard of the Ku Klux Klan. He, he befriended people who were his enemies, and guess what his friendship towards his enemies did? For the Grand Wizard of the Ku Klux Klan, his heart began to soften, and he repented of his racism and his hatred towards minorities. It was the kindness of Daryl Davis which, which brought about a change and, and is bringing about a change in many people's hearts. Amazing. 
And Jesus says, love your enemies. Do good to your enemies. Because it's kindness, it's this kindness which softens hearts and leads people to repentance. Incredible. Incredible. Why are we called to be a friend to others? Why are we called to this radical friendship or this radical kindness? Well, it's because Jesus is a friend of sinners. Jesus is a friend of sinners. He was a friend to you. You see, our our sinfulness has made us enemies of God. And in Romans 5, Paul says that we were once enemies of God. Then in Colossians chapter 1, he talks about us being alienated from God. So, So our sinful condition, according to the Apostle Paul, is described as enemies who are alienated from God. But but God loves sinners so much that he sent his one and only son, Jesus, into the world to befriend sinners. Jesus was a friend of sinners. Such a good friend that he died for them. And he died for you and he died for me. That we would no longer be alien, alienated from God or enemies of God, but, but that we would become friends of God. And this is why we show radical kindness towards others. Because God first demonstrated radical kindness towards you and towards me and the whole world. So we show radical kindness, first of all, because Jesus is a friend of sinners. And it's this kindness that also, number two, leads to repentance. In Romans chapter 2, Paul wrote, God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. It's kindness towards others that softens hearts and turns hearts and changes hearts. I pray that, that you have eyes to see the kindness of Jesus towards you today. And that really is my prayer for you, and that's my, our, my prayer for our community, for our neighborhood, which we're called to, to reach. That they would, they would have a deep and profound sense of God's kindness towards them through us, through our words and through our actions. And that the kindness of of Christ working through us would begin to soften hearts and to turn hearts. That they would have hearts that are open to receive the message of the gospel. You see, our world needs Christ. Our world needs that friend that sticks closer than a brother. So the men brought their paralyzed friend to Jesus. They're an example of of radical kindness and friendship. They went to radical lengths to make sure their friend met Jesus. These men were radically kind. They were radical friends. And they believed. And it was their belief, their faith, 
their trust in Jesus that made all the difference. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, man, your sins are forgiven you. Your sins are forgiven. His greatest need wasn't to be healed from paralysis, but his greatest need was the forgiveness of sins. His greatest need was to be converted from an enemy alienated from God to friendship with God. And it was the kindness of Jesus. It was the kindness of his friends that radically transformed, changed, converted him in his life. And I know that people within this community are hungering for friendship with God. They're hungering for meaning. I was with a man on Thursday night in his 30s. Uh, he had been displaced from his home. His, his home was destroyed by fire. And so one of my, my duties as a chaplain is just to sit with people in the midst of their, of their tragedies and, and difficulties and pain in life. So I was sitting with this man and getting to know him and talking with him about his, he had a, a degree in art. And so we were talking about some art projects that he was doing. And then just all of a sudden, in the middle of it, he looks at me and, and he asks this question. He says, how can I know I'm going to heaven? <laughs> People are hungering for meaning. They're hungering for friendship with God. And so I had the opportunity to share the gospel. I was just blown away. And I led him in a prayer to receive Christ as his Savior. You see, the church professionals, they're going to tell you that people aren't interested in repentance or salvation. The church professional is going to tell you that people aren't hungering for God. So I have to wonder, when was the last time these professionals actually went out and befriended people in the real world? When I go out to intentionally tell people about Jesus, I find that people are longing to hear good news. So I believe that we in the church may be in greater need of repentance than an unbelieving world. We need to repent because we're not willing to go into the world with the greatest news. In a way, we become like the Pharisees. Hard. Stubborn. Sometimes we don't even like to be around each other. <laughs> Let alone an unbelieving world. Sometimes we get out of this place as fast as we can. That's me. Sometimes like, I just want to get out of here and go sit in my office by myself. But Jesus is looking at this little flock here at Maple Park and he says, I love you. I love you. 
And I'm asking you to return to me, return to the calling that I have placed upon my church. Calling you to get up, rise up from your map. To the man, he said, go home. His mission was in his home. His mission wasn't to go follow Jesus to the, uh, in, in, around Judea and Galilee and in that area, and then eventually to the ends of the earth. His, his mission was to go home. And I think that's, for most of us, that's our mission, is to be where God has placed us right now. To be witnesses wherever we're at. Or, he has called some to leave home and to go to the far reaches of the earth to proclaim the gospel to those who have never heard the name of Jesus. But for most of us, our mission is right where we're at. To tell others the good news of Jesus Christ. Church growth experts say that, and there are some good experts out there, but they say that for a church to grow, every member needs to be inviting people. Every member, in order for a church to grow, every member needs to be inviting people. There's actually a ratio, it's 10 to one over a 12 month period. In order for a church to begin growing, Every member needs to be inviting 10 people a year. That's usually, that, that's the ratio that they see when they research churches that are growing. So every member inviting 10 people. So for our congregation, that means each of you, I want you to begin today to commit to inviting 10 people over the next 12 months. Surveys suggest that people are open to an invitation to church. If you invite somebody to come with you, there is a good chance that they will accept that invitation. Surveys also suggest that people are open to spiritual conversations. So if you start talking about Jesus, most of the time people aren't going to be turned off by that. But surveys also suggest that most church members are not willing to go and to invite and to share their faith. The leader of a major Lutheran church, the Luther, uh, uh, Lutheran Congregations and Mission for Christ, Mark Vanderteig, who was the leader of that, former leader of that uh, denomination or that association of churches, says that it takes 1,000 Lutherans one year to make one new disciple. <laughs> 1,000 Lutherans one year to make one new disciple. I don't want to be that kind of Lutheran church. He's called us to go. He's called us to bring people to Jesus. He's called us to share our faith with others. Some people say, well, evangelism isn't my spiritual gift. And that's probably true. Evangelism probably is not your spiritual gift. But that doesn't, that doesn't get you off the hook. That'd be like saying, well, mercy isn't my spiritual gift, so I'm not going to be merciful to anybody. Or giving isn't my spiritual gift, so I'm not going to give anything. You may not be an evangelist, but you are called to be a witness of the good news of Jesus Christ. 
So we bring people to meet Jesus because that's what kindness is all about. Kindness is about bringing people to Jesus so that they can meet him, so that, that, that he can do the work in their heart. So may we as a congregation be so impacted by Jesus' kindness towards us that we can't help but be kind towards others and being kind is being a friend and being a friend is bringing people to Jesus. And when you've heard these words from Jesus, man, woman, child, your sins are forgiven. I'm your friend. You're my friend. The reality of the gospel, of the forgiveness of sins and friendship with God is what changes and transforms us. So my prayer is that all of us would know and experience friendship with God. That our friendship with God would lead us to be better friends towards our neighbors in love and in kindness. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we need you as a church. Uh, only you can do this work by your Holy Spirit in us and through us. We pray that as, as we uh, go home today that we would really take this message seriously. That we would begin to maybe write down the names of people that we know that you're calling us to pray for and to invite. And uh, Lord, I pray that you would remove whatever fear there might be, knowing that there are people who are going to reject us. That's absolutely true. But also knowing that many people are open and willing to talk about Jesus. They're open and they're willing to, to be uh, brought as a guest into church. So help us to be willing to go to them. Do this by the work of your Holy Spirit. Provide for our church in every way. And all of God's children say, Amen. 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 Would you please stand as we sing the song, The Lord our God is good.